It is good to be home and uh, be with you, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about all that because i got a lot of ground to cover. And I want you to be turning in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and while you're turning there, I'm going to share a little story with you from 2 Kings chapter 6, because that really kind of sets us up for uh, the same prayer that Elisha prays for his servant is the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, and it's the same prayer that I pray for you this morning. Back in, uh, back in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha, <laughs> Elisha is a wanted man. And, and the reason why Elisha is a wanted man by the king of Aram is because uh, the king of Aram is, is, is hostile to the Israelites, and he's the enemy of the Israelites. He wants to defeat the Israelites. But it, it, it's, it seems that everywhere the, the uh, Arameans camp out to try to surprise the Israelites and take them by surprise and defeat them, the prophet Elisha, God gives him insight to know where they're going to be. And so he tells the king of Israel, don't go there because that's where the Arameans are waiting for you. And so this doesn't happen just once, it happens repeatedly. And so after a while, the king of Aram thinks, he says, you know, somebody, somebody's a traitor in our midst. Somebody's telling the king our plans as he counsels with his military leaders, says, who is it? And one of them speaks up and says, God, he says, King, it's not one of us, but it's this prophet Elisha. And somehow or another, he, he knows ahead of time where we're going to be, and he tells the king, he says, well, you go get this prophet. You go get Elisha, and you bring him to me. And so that night, he sends the whole army. They surround Dothan, and that's where Elisha is. They surround Dothan with his army. And here's, here's what happens. So now, when the attendant of the man of God, I'm in verse 15 of 2 Kings 6. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to Elisha, what would you say? So you try to kind of put this in your own, your own words. Alas, well, maybe some of us would have used a different word than alas. But he said, alas, my master. He said, uh, what shall we do? And so uh, he answered, and Elisha says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and he said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in just a few moments, we're going to read from your word. We're going to read about some spiritual truths, some spiritual realities that I pray, Heavenly Father, you will open our eyes that we might see them this morning. We may not just know about them in our head, not just read about them as printed words on a page, but that, Father, that we might see that these are 
realities that you have provided for us, given to us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, you'll open our eyes that we might see them this morning. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's look at uh, verse 3 after a rather common greeting. As Paul says in verse 1, I'm Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and uh, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's a pretty common greeting that he gives, whether it be to the Philippians or the Corinthians or the Thessalonians or whatever. But then he starts to get into the meat. And he starts off this great epistle with this, with this overwhelming verse. It, it's a verse that if, if you want something to think about <laughs> this week, something good to think about, to replace all the other stuff that you might have a tendency to think about, think about this right here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where? Say it with me. In Christ. Let's look at that one more time. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Okay? Past tense, already done, done deal. It's, all, it, it, it's not something that it's going to happen in the future. It's something that he's already done, already accomplished. He has already blessed you with every spirit. That's another big one right there. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. Well, verses 14 and 5 through 15 is an explosion. It's an explosion of excitement as he gets down to the source and the origin of all these blessings. I'm not going to read those 14 verses right now, but in those 14 verses, it is an explosion of excitement. As a matter of fact, it is the longest run-on sentence, English teachers. <laughs> it is the longest run-on sentence that you'll find Probably anywhere, and especially in the Bible, Paul gets so excited. You ever get so excited that you just, you go back and you proofread something and you think, man, oh man, I just, I, I slaughtered the grammar on that one. I got to go back and punctuate it right. <laughs> this is a run-on sentence. There's no, no punctuation. Paul's excited. And I think God wants us to get excited about the spiritual blessings. And he talks to us. He speaks to us about the spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenly places. Their origin, as he says, to his, he says that he has chosen us in him before the very foundation of the world. The blessing of being one of God's chosen. And, and, and he says he's, he's chosen us and he's predestined us to adoption as one of his sons. Imagine the blessings that flow out of being one of God's adopted children. And then he talks about having been uh, he, in, in Christ, he's redeemed us through the blood of Jesus that he's given to us. Think about all the blessings that flow out of knowing and, and seeing what it means to be redeemed. A price that is paid to set us free from the penalty of our sin. Imagine the blessings that flow out of all of that once you begin to absorb it and, and internalize it 
and digested and begin to understand what that means as it works its way out in your life. And then he goes on and he talks about how he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit in Christ. And so we might touch on some of those things if we have time in just a few minutes. But he said all that in verses one through, uh, verses 3 through 14 to say this in verse 15. And I think we've got this on the screen. For this reason, as he enumerates all these spiritual blessings that he wants us to grasp hold of, don't miss them. Have your eyes open that you see them. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, these are people of faith. I was with you long enough to know that you are people of faith, okay? He says, having heard of the of the faith of the, of, of, in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, the love that you have for one another, and do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. And here's what he, I'm praying that God will give to you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the full, complete knowledge of him. Wisdom and revelation. He's praying that they have wisdom and revelation. You see, spiritual truth, kingdom truths, kingdom realities have to be seen. They don't come to you just through education. For instance, you remember when Jesus had his disciples around him and he, and he said, who do men say that I am? And they, you know, they said, well, some say that, you know, you're Elisha. Some say, etc. and etc. And then Peter speaks up and he says, I say that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how does Jesus respond to him? He said, way to go, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Flesh and blood. Man didn't reveal. He didn't get that from just coming to a Sunday school class. He didn't get that from just listening to a preacher. He didn't get that from reading a book. But God opened your eyes so that you can see that. Jesus wept when he went into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. And the reason why he wept is because it tells us in the Bible that as he looked upon the city, he looked at those people and he says, you did not recognize the day of your visitation. And Jesus wept over that. The Son of God, the incarnate God, was standing right there in front of them. He performed all these miracles as signs of who he was, and they couldn't see it. Their eyes were closed. Their eyes were closed. And so, how important it is that we have our eyes opened. And the only way it comes is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's why we pray for people. That's why people have prayed for us, is so that our eyes might be open, that we can see this. <clears throat> And so, he prays that not only do they have revelation and be able to see these truths, but he also prays that they might have wisdom. And wisdom is when you can take knowledge and put it into practice. It's not just how smart you are, but can you take your smarts and, and, and apply it in life? And, and, and that's where wisdom comes in. And, and as, even as... Uh, as Claude was talking about those skilled workers. Even 
in the Old Testament, they were wise. The word for wisdom is one who is skilled. He can take, he can take his, his, his knowledge about crafts and, and put it into practice. And, 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 and so what Paul's praying for is that we, we take these spiritual truths, our, our eyes would be open, and then we can take it and put it into practice, work it out. And so he goes on and he says in verse 15, he, or, or he goes on down and, and, and here's what he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These that he just mentioned, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. There are three, three realities of kingdom living that God wants every single one of us to see, and you can add the words, and apply, and apply. First one, reality number one, the hope of His calling, the hope of His calling. Here's what pray, Paul prays for specifically. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they might be open, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. So what is calling? What is calling? Well, I went to Wayne Grudem's, uh, and I believe, I believe Pastor Daniel's got Wayne Grudem. Anybody that's been to seminaries familiar with Wayne Grudem's uh, Systematic Theology. <laughs> it's a book about that big. And you look in the index under calling, and you find out what he has to say about calling. He's got about four, five, six pages on calling. And, and, and so I looked there, and I thought, okay, I've got I to find something. We've got to get our heads around what it means to know something about God's calling in our life. And here's his definition. Here's his definition. I've revised it just a little bit, okay? But I'm going to give it credit to him, all right? The calling of God is his gracious, I use the word gracious there, that's my insert, okay? Is his gracious interruptive, that's his word, and I agree with it. God's calling interrupts our lives, all right? The calling of God is His gracious, interruptive initiative that breaks into our lives through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in which He summons us to Himself, His purposes, and all the blessings of salvation. Our prayer for those folks that are down in Puerto Rico is that God uses the sharing of the gospel to interrupt the lives of those Puerto Ricans. That they respond to the good news of the gospel. So anyway... So, here, here's the key phrase that I see in that. It's his gracious, it's his gracious, interruptive initiative. So I thought, okay. I thought back in my childhood days. I'd love to play. I'd love to play outside. I never stayed inside. And, and so, back in those days, as many of you knew, I, I, I grew up on Long Island, and, and the houses were right next to one another, you know, and, and our playground was the street. And sometimes we'd go to the backyard to shoot hoops in a, in a, in a, in a basketball goal that was in somebody's backyard, and we'd play stickball, and we'd play uh, touch football, not tackle in the street, but touch in the street, you know, and, and that, that was our playground. It was the neighborhood. That's where we played. And... Uh, 
uh, I love to play, and I'd rather play than eat. I'd rather play than uh, go home. And most of us were pretty much the same way. But there was a certain time when it was time to go home. Now, there were some families. Now, this was the day before all the sophisticated communication systems. There was no texting back in those days. None of us had our private, personal little cell phones, okay? And so some, some families had some sophisticated communication systems. Like, for instance, when the streetlights start to come on, that means it's getting dark and it's time for you to go home. And so when the streetlights would come on, then some of the kids would leave, okay? Now, others, they were, their sophisticated communication was a younger brother or sister or an older brother or sister. Anyway, parents would send a messenger boy, okay, to go get them and bring them home. Well, the Crims' sophisticated means of communication was Evelyn Crim would get on the front step and she'd say, Daryl! Okay, and you'd have to know my mother to know you could hear her <laughs> no matter where you were in the neighborhood. You could hear Evelyn Krim calling for Daryl. Now, I'd like to be able to say to you as soon as I heard that voice, I was home. But I, 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 I interpreted that as an interruption in my life. <laughs> an interruption. Now, now here's a mother... The best mother anybody could ever have. I had the best family. It was not like going home to some dysfunctional family, okay? I had a great father. I had a great mother. They loved one another. We had a great home. We sat down and ate together, okay, with brother and sister, you know. And so it wasn't like I didn't want to go home because there's this awful place. Mom was a great cook, and she cooked. And I know she had spent lots of time in the kitchen cooking that meal. And then she says, Daryl, come. She's calling me. And here I am. That's an interruption in my life. I just don't want to go right now. And I look back on that and I say, what kind of kid were you? What kind of kid were you? That you would not respond to this loving, wonderful mother who's just calling you to come home. And then I thought, how many of us, how many of us resisted the calling of God upon our lives? And we waited and we waited and we waited and we said, kept saying, not now, not now, not now. It's too much of an interruption in my life. I got too many other things I got to do. I'm not, get this, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Who am I to say I'm not ready yet? Who are you? Who are you to say you're not ready to the calling of God upon your life? He, Jesus uses a, 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 a parable to, to describe that it's, the kingdom of God is like this, this king that has prepared a feast. And he sends his messenger boys out to call the people to come eat. And we hear these people say, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. I don't know where you are this morning. I know you're in church, okay? I can see you're here. But, you know, it's amazing to me. I sat in church. I sat in church for 20 years and kept saying, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Not just to my mother. 
but to my Lord. And the extent that he's gone to prepare the feast. To have everything is ready. That's the calling of God. How do you hear? You know, I, I've never heard the clear, well, I've never heard a, an audible voice like I heard my mother's, okay? But God's voice comes even clearer than that. He speaks to us in here, doesn't he? And he's speaking to us even right now. And there are those of us that are here today. We can hear him calling us. But he goes on, he says, he says, I, I pray that you might know the hope of the calling of God in your life. That you might experience the calling of God in your life. And he uses the clarifying term here. He says it's the hope of God's calling. Well, what is hope? What is hope? We hear a lot about faith. We hear about love. And matter of fact, Paul says you, you're people of faith and you're people of love. But there's something that's lacking that I see that's lacking in its love. It's, it's hope. It's hope. Hope can be described as driving power. A person has hope. A person who has hope can't quit. A person with hope just can't quit. A person with hope can't quit serving God. I guess there was a little part of me that thought I could. You know, I'm ready to retire. Okay? I'm ready, I'm ready to just kind of rest a little while. Well, it ain't happening. <laughs> that ain't happening. There's still something in me that wants to do what God wants me to do and wants me to be engaged and involved in kingdom work and kingdom service. And that, that, that's the, knowing the hope of your calling that just kind of keeps you going in life. The best description of hope, I've used this illustration before, but here, I don't know if it was 29 years ago, or 20, but whatever. Soren Kierkegaard gave me the best illustration of what it means for a person to have hope. And he said, you could, a man without hope is, is like a man who's taking a walk through the woods, and as he's walking through the woods, all of a sudden he hears the rustling of the leaves behind him. And so he turns around and he looks, and guess what he sees? It's a lion. And that lion starts to chase him. And so he begins to run. And so the faster he runs, the faster the lion runs. And he learns real quickly that a man is no match for a lion in a foot race. And so he's just running with all he can. And finally, he sees off to the side a well. He doesn't know what's in the well. doesn't know how deep the well is. But he knows that's his only hope. And so he takes a leap and he jumps into the well. And as he's fallen in the well, he looks to the bottom of the well and he sees a dragon. And the dragon is waiting for him. He's got his mouth open and fire is coming out of his mouth. And so he begins to panic a little bit. And, 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 and as he's falling, he, he sees that there's a root that's growing through the well from one, end, one side to the other. And so as he passes by that root, he grabs hold. And there, there he is. He's hanging there. And he looks down to his future. He looks down to his future and he says, I don't want to go there. And then he looks back to his past and he sees the lion with his head over the, over the entrance of the well. And he said, I don't want to go back there either. And so there he is. He's hanging on. And as he hangs on to that root, then he notices something. He notices that there's two rats on the root. 
<clears throat> and they're gnawing away at the root, everything that he has to hold on to. One of them is black and one of them is white, symbolizing day and night, day and night. And so there's a man without hope. What has Paul just said to us in verses 4 through 14? He says, here is the picture of hope. He says, you can look to your future. And, and here's what Paul says in the latter part of verse 8. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. We don't have, it's not a mystery of what we're looking forward to. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in Jesus, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ in the heavens and the things on the earth. In other words, what's, what do we got to look forward to? We got this to look. Everything is going to be summed up in Jesus. Everything is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is waiting for us at the bottom of the well. And that's hope. That's a relationship that begins here and continues there. But he doesn't stop there. He says, he says you can look to your past. And here's the blessing of, here's the blessing of redemption. Here's the blessing of the forgiveness of your sins. You look in your past, and I don't know what you're running from, but he says your hope as a Christian and hanging on to the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything in your past is forgiven. He's redeemed you. He set you free. He's paid the price. He shed his blood. And then, what are you hanging on to? He says, well, I'll tell you what you're hanging on to. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. It's a deposit. I've given that to you right now. Yes, you're going to inherit a whole lot more when you die and go to heaven, but I've given you something to hang on to now. Better yet, the whole emphasis behind being sealed with the Holy Spirit that he talks about in that passage is that it's not Christianity is not a matter of you hanging on to Him, but what? Him hanging on to you. That's hope. That's hope. And so... And so Paul is praying that, that they might know, that they might know. They've got faith, they've got love, but they might know the hope of his calling. That's some of you this morning. How would you describe, how would you describe your condition this morning? You know, there's different terms that we use. Well, I'm just hanging in there. Right? I'm just hanging in there. Or maybe some of you are saying, well, I'm at the end of my rope. You, have you ever used that expression before? Well, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open, that you might see the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling. It's relevant. Christianity is relevant to everyday living. Reality number two. Reality number two. An unimaginable significance in the eyes of God. And unimaginable. You cannot imagine right now. You can't imagine. I can't imagine. Have you ever had those days where you just kind of feel insignificant? <laughs> you don't get anything done? Okay, you kind of, what, where did the day go and everything that happened was bad? And did, I made all these mistakes. You ever feel, get a, kind of overwhelmed with insignificance? Well, I pray the eyes of your heart might be open that you might see something of the unimaginable significance that you are to God. Here's what he says. I pray that you might know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice that. His inheritance in the saints. Earlier in those verses that I just spoke to you, he talked about our inheritance in him. 
You see, when we, when we trust Christ, you might say, all that he has is ours. That's what he just said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All that he has, what's he done? He's given it to us. He's given all that he has and all that he is is now ours. But guess what? All that we are is his. Who gets the better end of that deal? Years ago, I heard an illustration from, uh, from Nelson Price. He was a pastor in, in Atlanta. And this, this is going back probably 40 years, but I still remember the illustration. He, he grew up in Mississippi, and they had, they had what they called homecoming, homecoming. And they literally did have dinner on the grounds. Now, I'm not talking about chairs and everything. I'm talking about spread the blanket, eat on the ground, eat on the ground. Well, his motivation for going to church as a young guy was this young lady. And he looked forward to going to church so that he could sit next to this young lady. And so uh, he was looking forward to uh, homecoming and dinner on the grounds because he'd be able to sit not only next to her during the worship service, but also he could have lunch with her. And so Saturday night he got all excited and, and he got in the kitchen and he made just a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. All right. He's a good cook, right? So anyway, he makes all his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, his sweet thing is frying up the chicken and making the potato salad. And, I mean, got all the trimmings. I mean, she's got it. Well, they get there, and sure enough, finally, the final amen, the benediction and the blessing is given, and off they go. And, and he's got the blanket, and, and he spreads it out, and he sits down with his bag with his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and she sits down with a picnic basket full of all these goodies that she's baked up. And, and he, opens, <laughs> he opens up his, his bag, and he starts pulling out the peanut butter as if to say, all that I have is yours. And all that you have is now mine. Who gets the better end of that deal? Who gets the better end of the deal when all that God has, we've inherited, but then all that we are, He inherits. Think about it this way. Little babies, little babies. Little babies, everybody's all excited. Oh, you're expecting a baby? Yeah, everything's all excited until that little baby comes. And then that little baby doesn't sleep at night. And because that little baby doesn't sleep at night, you don't get any sleep at night. And that little baby, <laughs> that little baby messes in his diaper, and that little baby is, is just a sin-filled little one. The whole world's got to revolve around that little baby. And that little baby, nobody's tried to teach that little baby how to be how to be disobedient, how to be rebellious, how to be mean, how to, how to be cantankerous. Nobody had to teach that little one. That, that little baby is a sinner, okay? But that little baby came into the world, and all that mom and dad had was basically his or hers. The home that they had, you know, the, 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 the room that had been painted and fixed up, everything that mom and dad have is now that little child's. Matter of fact, that little child not only has a house and a bed, that little child, when he gets older, has a car, and even a chauffeur goes with that car. And that chauffeur's called Mama, you know, and, and, and Daddy. And, and they're just chauffeuring that little one to all these little ball games and all these events. <clears throat> and you go to the ball game, and, 
And, and who are you looking at? Who are you watching? You're watching your kid. And, and, and that little one graduates from preschool. <laughs> preschool graduation. I, ain't got a, I never graduated from preschool. Never even graduated from elementary school. But Susan and I, we went, we, last what, weekend before last, we drove all the way to Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee, that is a long way. We drove all the way to watch my little grandson graduate from elementary school. And then we turned, we spent the night, we turned around, we came home. <laughs> came home. We drove to Annapolis for five hours one time to watch my little granddaughters for less than five minutes, probably two or three minutes in a little ballet performance, you know, where there's hundreds and hundreds of other kids. But we had a, is that her over there? That, why? Because we glory in them, don't we? We glory in those kids. And we, that little kid that <laughs> messed in his diaper, that little kid that's disobedient, that little kid that talked back, that little, but that little kid is a glory to you. And it's a glory to the grandparents. And what I'm here to say is we need to get a picture of how significant we are to God. As, as, as sinful as we are, as much as we've missed the mark of the glory of God, He still glories in us. And we need to, we need to understand something about how much God glories in North Roanoke Baptist Church. You are a glory to Him. And there's not any other organization in in Roanoke, Virginia, that is more significant. There's not, a, there's not an enterprise that's more significant in the eyes of God. There's not a business in, 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 in the state of Virginia, in the United States, there's not anything more significant in the eyes of God than the church, than the church. And, and if there's anything that I pray, that I pray that your eyes might be open is to see something of not only your own personal significance to God, but also the significance of the church to the Lord. <clears throat> so, what, what, does, what does somebody like you and I give to God who has everything? I mean, it's almost like, I don't, I don't even know if Bill Gates has, a, has, a, has any children or not. <clears throat> but let's just imagine, what, what in the world could, could a child give to Bill Gates? I mean, he's got every. I would think he's pretty much got everything. You know, he certainly has the money to buy anything that he wants. So, what can what in the world could a child give to Bill Gates? Himself, herself. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I want to have a relationship with you. What in the world is it that you and I can give to God, who has everything? He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my work. He, he does real well without Daryl Krim. But what, what can I give to him that nobody else can give to him? Me. What can, what, what can you give to God this morning that would be a glory to him? Give him yourself. Just say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I'm yours. I know I, 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 my eyes have been opened. I see that I'm significant in your eyes. And I, I, I want to bring the glory to you. And then finally, Reality number three is, it is God's will for you to know and experience the surpassing greatness of His power that He directs towards us. A little bit later on in that passage, he says, these are all in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Quickly, let me take, let, let you look at Romans 1.20. 
because we're talking about power here. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Yes, every single day, God gives witness to His eternal creative power. But He doesn't point us to creation. He points us to what? He points us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why does He do that? In creation, we see God's eternal creative power on display every day. In the creation account, we see His power to make this, this world in which we live, out of nothing. Creation is a showcase of His eternal power. But here, Paul directs us to the resurrection. It's the power that Paul prays that God directs towards us, that gives us resurrection power. What is resurrection power? Resurrection power is power that takes a dead man and makes him alive. A dead man, it makes him alive. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have been dead in your trespasses and sins, but he makes you alive in Jesus Christ. He, he, doesn't, just, he doesn't just make you a nice person. He makes you a brand new person. He doesn't just want you to go through life being conquered by the same old habits and the hang-ups and the hurts in life. This, 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 this power, this resurrection power is transforming power. It's transforming power. It's the power that is directed towards individuals, to people, to make them new people in Christ. That's why he prays. And that's why Paul prays. I pray that you might know the surpassing greatness of his power that he directs towards us, towards us. So, what's involved in God opening the eyes of my heart? Well, how do you, how do you state it? You know, it, it's, it's, here, here's my feeble effort. What's involved in God opening the eyes of my heart? When you hear Jesus calling, summoning you, just respond to Him. Just respond. That's what we call faith. Just respond to Him. You may not know where it's going to lead. You, you won't know where it's going to lead. It takes a step of faith. In Mark 3.13, it says, Jesus went up to a mountain and He summoned, He called those whom He Himself wanted. And here's the amazing thing. They came to Him. They came to Him. That interruption, <laughs> is that interruption coming in your life? What do you do? You just come to Him. You come to Him. Stop saying wait. When you open your heart by surrendering your heart to Him, then the eyes of your heart will be open. You know, I've, I've heard the expression, and I may have even used the expression, and probably some of you have too. And that is, seeing is believing. You ever heard that? Seeing is believing? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's not what this is talking about. Here's what this is talking about. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, you're a good man. You're a nice guy. You're a religious guy. But unless, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
I want to thank you that you're in the eye-opening, heart-opening, life-opening business today. I thank you, God, that you are still in the business of transforming lives, making those who are dead alive in Christ. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, you are in the eye-opening business and that you're in the calling business. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that those of us that are here today that hear you calling and speaking to us, that we'll respond in accordance with your call. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.